Welcome to episode 9 of Cast IQ, the intelligent podcast for entrepreneurs. This week's founder story is from Debbie Rogers. She's the CEO and founder of Sean's Place. Sean's Place is named after her brother. Now, unfortunately, her brother died last July after a bout of mental illness. And she set the organisation up, really, to, to provide other men who suffer with mental illness a fighting chance of survival. She did this whilst in the throes of grief. She did this whilst balancing the needs of her family and also, too, whilst working full time. What we see through this interview is true Scouse grit. We see a determination to succeed, no matter what the odds. This is Debbie Rogers, and this is her story. Hi, Debbie. Thank you for coming on onto the podcast. Um, uh, yeah, and welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be asked, really. I think the way I was asked was quite nice as well. Someone who I'd never met on LinkedIn recommended me, so that was quite an honour. <laughs> I, I, do you know, I, I thought that that might be the best way, rather than me kind of hunting people down. And, and, you know, it's usually better to kind of ask for somebody else's kind of opinion on somebody else. You know, who do you know? that is really influential or, or that, that's really impressed you with what they've done or, you know, and that's really what sparked it. Um, we, I, I, when I started this, I had absolutely no kind of real clue how, as to how this would go. Um, but what I wanted to do really was kind of showcase um, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And it's kind of turned into more of a, a female entrepreneurship showcase as well. Um, so I, as it as I felt it continuing that vein, I thought I'll, I'll you know, I'll, that's that's the path that obviously this needs to go, and and we'll, we'll just take it from there. So absolutely pleased to have you on the podcast anyway, and um, you know I know a little bit about your story, but obviously uh, our listeners don't. So tell us a bit about you. You know where were you brought up? Where, where were you born? Where were you brought up? Um, so I was um, brought up in Heighton, um, the posh part. We had a roof on our house, so <laughs> it was classed as being posh back in the day. Um, I was born in 1986, uh, went to school in Heighton. Um, I've got three brothers and one sister. Um, I was closest to my older brother, Sean, who was 18 months older than me. So we used to walk to school together. We picked up our GCSE results together. Like um, we were, Everyone used to think we were twins and we got quite cross telling people that we weren't all the time so we just let them think we were twins at one point um so I left school in um 2002 I think it was um I got my GCSE so while I'm a GCSEs as well um considering I was very early in school hated school um had a bit of a tough time my brother got bullied um I used to defend him a lot which led to myself getting bullied so um I found it easy just to bunk off and go in for my favorite lesson which was music um so I was quite lucky I didn't have to try very hard at school and I still come up with okay GCSEs then I went to college but unfortunately my mum got sick 
Um, so I left college to look after my brothers and sisters um, when I was 17. Um, and then just before that, actually, I started work quite young. Um, I started when I was 14. I grabbed my brother's national insurance number. I went to Farm Foods and told them I was 16 and asked for a job and they give me one. <laughs> so I used to bunk when I was bunking off school. That's where I was. I was working in Farm Foods, getting myself some money. Um, probably get in trouble if you find that out now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I've always, we didn't have much money growing up. Um, my mum was a single mum for many years with five children. Um, we lived in a really, um, we lived in a council house. Um, it, it was quite tough, but I always knew that I wanted better than what we had. So I, I went to work. I used to help my mum out with my wages and things like that. And that started um, the thought process really of, you know, working hard to get to get what you need. Um, so I started working in farm food and started working in the cake shop next door. Um, and I used to do that on a Saturday, um, take the cakes home to my brothers and sisters after work and things like that. Um, I was on buttons, like I was literally not getting paid much at all. But back then it was like a million dollars. I was the only person bringing money into the house. So it was a nice feeling. Um, and then I started working in a pub. Again, lied about my age. I told them I was seventeen. I told them I was eighteen when I was seventeen. So I ended up working on my eighteenth birthday because I couldn't tell them it was my eighteenth. So um, they thought it was just my nineteenth. So my eighteenth birthday, I spent working behind a bar for like five pounds an hour or something. <laughs> um, yeah, and I just carried on doing that then for a couple of years until um, I met my partner and I had my son, and I knew that I had to go and get myself a job that was going to fit around family life um so then I started working um in a nursery school voluntary um it was my son's nursery school and the lady who was the administrator there offered to teach me how the systems work how um I could get myself a job so I'd volunteer there um she told me all the systems and then um that was enough to get me my first school administration job which was lovely um I became a parent governor at the nursery, which was a nice sense of responsibility as well. I got to give back something really. She'd give up so much time helping me to start my career. It was nice to be able to give back something to the nursery school. Um, and that's when pretty much my career started from there really. So what is it you do now? Um, so I still actually work in a school. Um, I'm a school attendance officer, <laughs> which is, it's not the nicest job in the world when you've got to go and knock on people's houses and moan at them about bringing the kids to school. But I try and do it in a nice way where um, we give rewards to the children for coming to school. You know, if we know that they're having a difficult time at school, but they come to school anyway, I give them rewards. So I do that um, of a daytime. I finish work at half 12 and then I run Sean's place in the afternoon, which is um, my own organisation that I created in January. Wow. Do you know, we, we school attendance officer, it, it, I think it's a posh way for, for what we used to call a wag chap. <laughs> um, Not heard that one before. <laughs> it, yeah, well, it's kind of, a, I think it's a northern, a more kind of more Lancashire phrase, but, you know, if, if you were off school, you were wagging it. And, um, so we used to call him the wag chap and, and, and he used to knock on my door more than anything as well. And, uh, but he wasn't that, not, nowhere near as nice as you. He wouldn't offer treats of reward. He'd scrub the neck and off you go. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm quite conscious. That's the reputation. Um, I've, I worked as a school um, administrator for the past eight years. 
Um, I did that while I was studying. It led to so many brilliant opportunities. And each year, I just set myself a goal to try and achieve something better. Um, so when I started working as a school administrator, um, I was told that in order to get my job the next year, I had to do an MVQ. And I'd never done a qualification since school. I was now in my mid-twenties. So I was I was a bit scared of one pass because you had to do your maths and your IT again. And I'd not done maths yeah. since like 1998 or something. Um, but I did my MVQ level three and found out I was quite a good student and I did well. So I said to my assessor, you know, what's next? What can I do next? He said, well, you can apply to university. I was like, oh, no, they won't let me into university. Like, I left school years ago. I've worked in pubs and farm food. You know, I've not, I've not really got any qualifications that I could use and he said Debbie you, you know you've done really well to a high standard you should apply so I got into John Moore's part-time as well which was made up because I could fit it around the school job I could fit it around the children um, and quite quickly after my first assignment I realised I was pretty good at university as well I was getting first I didn't I, I feel like I didn't have to work very hard but probably in hindsight I did work very hard at it um, I was getting involved in conferences at the university. They had me writing um, publications for them. And I really, really enjoyed it. So while I was building my career and, you know, becoming a school administrator to go on to a school business manager, I was also studying and getting my qualifications behind me. And the plan was to then go on and um, do my master's degree and, you know, maybe a PhD um, and just be a student forever because I loved it, really enjoyed it, and was quite good at it. And um, but then Sean's place um came about, and it was the choice between giving something really new, so far out of my comfort zone. You know, I, I had didn't really have any experience to open a business. Um, I was either to throw myself into that, or I was going to go do my masters, and I chose to throw myself into opening a business, which is how I'm here now speaking to you. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let, let's just kind of backtrack a little bit. Um, obviously, Sean Place now exists, um, but what brought you to that? What happened? Um, so Sean um, was my brother, who I spoke about earlier. Um, we were very, very close. He was like my best friend. We used to call him our fourth child. I've got three children, and Sean was our fourth. He would practically live with us, was here every day. Um, we were very close in age. He walked me down the aisle on my wedding day. He stood next to me on my graduation. He was a massive part of our life. Um, and he was the biggest kid you'll ever meet. But underneath all of that, he struggled really badly with his mental health. Um, we had quite a traumatic childhood, which Sean couldn't get over. Um, he had a lot of therapy, a lot of medication, and found himself constantly living. Um, this awful experience over and over again in his adult life um, whereas I chose not to think about anything I was able to cope a little bit better and go on and live quite a happy life with my little family and you know university and everything um, but for Sean that was just never an option he couldn't get through that um, and then I lost Sean in July last year a week after graduating um, he took his own life he didn't have the support he needed he was as I say, it was constant medication and therapy, but actually what he needed was something in the community that he could fill his days with, where he could know that he weren't alone and be with other men who were in the same situation. He could build his skills, his confidence, self-esteem. So he always wanted to work. He just never had the confidence in himself that he could do it. 
So he needed somewhere he could build up that confidence um, in himself. And we just couldn't find anything for years. I'd search for it, just nothing. He was offered gym memberships by his community health team, but it just wasn't enough for him. He couldn't go into a gym for the strangers because his anxiety would prevent that from happening. Um, he just needed somewhere where it was like a silent nod, really, that, you know, it's okay, we're all this, you know, we're all going through some stuff in here. Um, so when I lost Sean, I spiraled really quite deeply into grief. It was just awful. I was going to meet into the hospital. I was talking about inquests and coroners and funerals. It was a really, really dark place to be in. Um, so I knew I had to make something positive from it because Sean was a positive person despite all his mental health troubles. He was such a happy-go-lucky guy and I knew that this wasn't what I wanted Sean's life to come to. So I just said one day, you know, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to create somewhere that I was looking for for Sean. And it might only be on a Saturday afternoon and I'll volunteer when the kids are like, you know, my husband will have the kids, I'll go and do it one day after work or something. It was never meant to be a five day a week place because I didn't think I had the capability of doing that. Um, so I had a meeting with the hospital actually one morning and it was a really traumatic meeting. Um, I was really, really so upset at the end of it. But that afternoon I had a meeting with the women's organisation in Liverpool about setting up my own business. Mm. And I thought I've got to pull myself together. I've got to get to this meeting. And um, I went, I went to it and I sat there and said to the advisor, you know, I've got this idea. There's a venue that are willing to give me the space for free. There's definitely a need there for it. So I'm going to open next week. Is that okay? <laughs> and she was like, no, this isn't how it works. Um, and it started from there, really. They give me some guidance. Um, I did a lot of hard work, like 24 hours a day, chipping away at it. And then um, now we've got, an amazing um, organisation. We've got 35 guys a week who access our service. Um, We provide sessions such as guitar lessons, um, art therapy, cookery lessons. Um, We do mental health workshops where we encourage them to talk openly about the mental health. We do fishing clubs. So we've started taking guys out fishing once a month. Um, There's just so much that we do. The feedback's been amazing from the guys who access the service, but also the families. Um, I mentioned when we were chatting earlier that we we see people get quite emotional when we tell them what we can help them with, because this is something that they've been searching for for years. And like me, just couldn't find it. so yeah, that was a, a bit of a whistle-stop tour of how Sean's Place came about, but um, that, that's Absolutely. the organisation that I run now. So 35 guys access Sean's Place every week? Yeah, even during COVID-19. Um, we we had 25 guys before the lockdown and te- an additional 10 access in a forest school course that we set up um, with the community centre where they can get a food hygiene certificate and a first aid certificate and also do really cool things like use a Kelly kettle to like fires and, you know, makes cups of tea on a campfire and stuff, really manly stuff. Um, but then during um, the pandemic, we've been referred to um, with another 10 people who need support. So we've been doing things like online mindfulness sessions. We created our own cookbook using recipes that we were using 
in our lessons we put it into a cookbook with some nice photos and things like that and we delivered the cookbook and ingredients for some of the recipes to the guys in the home so we've been doing like home cooking with them and uh, so that's been really nice and then so we've still been supporting everybody through the pandemic as best we can but then when we reopen hopefully towards the end of july um we'll be able to continue what we were doing before the pandemic so it's it's almost like a I, I don't want to kind of downgrade it in some way but it's almost like a, a community centre for men that can go and, and, and just access a whole host of kind of support and, and services and activities it does it go beyond that yeah it will do we only opened officially in january and as i say i still work in a school at the moment so yeah. i'm trying i'm living two lives um <laughs> so the plan is that i'll leave my school job and this will become full-time we have a meeting with the council next week about potentially getting our own venue because yeah. there's so much we want to do um we've organized a family support network where we can support families um in how to have difficult conversations um to make sure that they feel supported that a word of what is available in the area for them to access outside of Sean's place. Um, with the guys, we have um, trainers coming in delivering training programs, whether it be in IT, in construction, um, so that we can support them into employment. But actually what we found was 75% of the guys who access our service are already in employment. Yeah. We open up an evening because my husband works on a building site, for example, and he finishes work at five o'clock. And he knows of guys suffering in his work who really could do with coming to Sean's place or yeah. somewhere similar, but everywhere closes at five. So where are the people who work going for their support? Because everywhere, everywhere's nine to five, but mental health isn't nine to five. Yeah. So we open evenings and that's, I think, why we've probably been so successful because we've acknowledged that people need support after five o'clock at night. Um, so in terms of employment, it's not really been something that there's been a desperate need for through our service. Um, what has been a need is people with um, acquired brain injuries or additional needs such as Asperger's and autism. Um, they also suffer with their mental health. So on a Tuesday afternoon now, we've just um, opened up a relaxed session. So it's Sean's place, but really stripped back. So it's really basic recipes and the cookery sessions. It's gentle things like art sessions. It's a, we've limited our numbers, so it's a quiet, a calmer environment for them as well. So we're hoping that's something we can expand as we go full time. Um, we've also linked up with the prison service. Um, there's a really nice guy I've met recently who, like me, just wants something more for people. And what he was saying was that people are coming out of prison. They might be in there for, you know, really minor things. And that's not to excuse any behaviour, but it shouldn't define the rest of the life. And when they're coming out of prison, there's nothing in the community for them. So these guys, they might have been abandoned by the family. They might not have a job. They're coming out with nothing but a letter. Um, and if they phone the first number on that letter and they don't answer or they have a bad experience, they, they lose hope and they lose faith. And then the crime spirals again and then they go back into prison where they feel safe so we're hoping that we can be that link with some of the prison services so that we can give them a who, bit of hope who is it that you've been speaking to and um, there's a lovely guy at our course prison um called david um and a couple of the officers who work alongside him we're actually due to deliver some r packs to them next week so that we can get them um introduced to sean's place and it'll be people that you know they 
know I've got a fighting chance of doing something really passive with the life when they come out. You know, we're yeah. not going to be an open door to um, everybody in the prison service, but you can't tar everybody with the same brush. You know, yeah. it's got to be hope there for people. And that's why Sean's Place was created. Like my brother, um, he was close to going to um, prison one time. I remember stood outside court with him. He did something really, really minor. But there was a chance that he could have gone to prison. And I was just outside the court crying my eyes out, just me and him, thinking, he's, he's a nice guy. He this, You know, he doesn't deserve this. He's just been led down the wrong path. And luckily, he didn't go, but he could have done. And then if he'd have come out of prison and he couldn't get employment, his family turned the back on him, you know, he had nowhere to live. That would have been the rest of his life then, just, but, you know, spent in this really dark place. Whereas well, if somewhere like Sean's Place was available to support them, he could have got re... Try to think what the word is. You know, just welcome back into the community and given a fighting chance so that they can go on and still have a, a positive life. So that's second chances, isn't it? Yeah. And sometimes three, four, fifth, five. You know, however many chances people need. You know, sometimes it, it takes a bit more than that, you know. It, but yeah, absolutely. So... Looking at what, um, talk to me more about what Sean's Place does then. I mean, we, we've talked about obviously people being able to access kind of mindfulness um, initiatives, like the, the monthly fishing club, etc. Um, you know, what else, what else happens there? Is there anything that you feeling really? Um, we're in the process of applying for funding and stuff at the moment, and we're actually finding it difficult to put into words what it is. Um, what, every Tuesday evening after our sessions, me and one of um, the team members, Mandy, we just cry with emotional. And I know that sounds really ridiculous, but it's because it's what we wanted. It was so special. We've seen people come in who have told us they don't have any friends outside. You know, they're very lonely, they're isolated. And we'll watch them in the kitchen cooking with one of the other members, making these friendships. And then we all sit around and eat the food afterwards that we've just cooked. And the conversations are happening and you see them going home with a big smile on the face, having the day before walked into us for the first time and nervous wreck. And it's just the most special feeling ever. Um, it's quite a relaxed atmosphere. You know, you wouldn't know who was a member and who was a volunteer in there really. Um, all of the volunteers, we all volunteer there, no one gets paid for working there at the moment um, because we're so new. So we all give our time because we want to make a difference. A lot of people have been affected by mental health themselves or the family members have been affected by mental health and they just want, like me, to do something positive um, with it. So we do, as I say, we, we, we put on these sessions and every session is designed to improve confidence and self-esteem. That's their core cool values, really. Um, we chose the sessions because in the beginning we did pilot sessions so we invited people in to test out some of the things we were thinking of doing and then we got the feedback from the guys about how it made them feel if they were willing to try it again um, you know what impact it had and that's how we created our timetable and it just evolves every week. We have a couple of older guys who are really into the photography. So they've like created their own photography group now. So on the timetable, we've now got a photography group because it's what they wanted, it's what they needed. Um, we, As I say, we do day trips. Like We've got a lake in Formby who have um, given us permission to use there. So we do a fishing group on a Monday night where they learn. I don't know if you know much about fishing. I don't. My husband does. But they do things like uh, making bait and making rigs and stuff. 
and then once a month the skills that they've used in the you know the theory sessions they'll go down to the lake and they can take the sons or the daughters or whoever with them um, and just enjoy some time to relax and a break away from the stress of day-to-day -day life um, but we're not a crisis centre it's important to say that you know we've done our suicide prevention training but we do have limits to what we can do um, if somebody is in suicidal crisis to the point where they're thinking about taking their own life um, we have referral pathways that we can signpost them to places like James's place in Liverpool um, but we will support them to do that we wouldn't just give them a phone number and say I'll go and phone them um, luckily we've not encountered anything like that yet but we know that that's going to come um, so we're prepared as can be for that really Good. I can imagine that this costs money and, and so um, I will ask you about questions in terms, you know, I will ask you a couple of questions in terms of how this is financed in a minute, but um, what I wanted to kind of feed back to you and kind of point out really is that the way that you've kind of developed Sean's Place seems to me like a typical startup. You start up with it like a number of kind of preconceived ideas or, or, or what we call assumptions about what what's needed what problems can be solved etc by what you do and then you you take that to the to the marketplace your customers or you you know your service users and you you allow them to kind of develop you know them to tell you well we'd like this or we'd like that and then you build around it and then boom you've you've got you you've got your your organization or you've got your your successful startup and, and i think that's amazing because what you're doing it you you're building something, you're measuring what works, and then you're learning from that, and then you know you then deciding whether or not to keep it, keep it ongoing. I think it's the it's going to be the single most important thing for you to continue to do, because that will mean that you you never get stagnant, you never get kind of it never becomes the same. It, it it will always be quite an innovative kind of um, an innovative uh, organization then. And, and I think that that's, and, and I don't know whether that's become, you know, that's become from maybe your qualifications at uni or whether that's just the way it's just happened. But either way, I think that's, you know, that, that's, that's certainly the, the kind of path you, you want to continue. Yeah, I think it, it's from a brother's experience, everything could do, I have Sean in mind. And I think, what's the point in me dictating to, you know, a bunch of guys who need support? Oh, we're going to do this, this, and this, and it's going to work because that's not the case. Not everybody's the same. Not everybody needs the same support. So we try and put on a variety of um, services that will meet the needs of individuals. Really, it's so important to listen to them because we want people to come. We want them to get benefit from being there. We don't just want them to, you know, just turn up because there's nowhere else to go. We want them to actually thrive and grow and develop. Um, and we're only going to do that by adapting to the needs of the people who will come in yeah so that brings me to, to how, how did you finance it how have you got the kind of resources in place that, that help you continue on the day to day basis yeah we've um we've been really really lucky and i think part of this comes from obviously the reason why i've set it up people have got massive hearts we found and um, the centre that we use at the moment um, give us the space for free to run our sessions. And um, they believe in what we're doing. They want to be a part of that. And they've not charged us for a period of months now. Um, 
eventually a time will come when we're starting to generate income where we will be able yes. to give back to them and we'd be more than willing to um as i say as well you know i've got a team of amazing volunteers some of them are friends some of them are people i've met along the way some are people who have reached out and asked you know can they help can they be a part of it and every single person there is just amazing. They've spent so many evenings over the last three weeks on training courses over Zoom. Some are Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock, some are seven o'clock on a Tuesday evening. And they just do it because we've all got the same values. Um, so I've been very lucky to be supported by a bunch of amazing, amazing individuals. Um, in terms of like the resources that we use and things like that, again, you know, it's We've not had to beg for anything, don't get me wrong, but when we have reached out, people want to help because mental health affects so many people. We've There's an amazing amazing fishing shop in, um, I'm going to get it wrong now, it's in Rainford. It's on our social media page, we posted about it the other day. My husband went down and told them about the fishing group we'd set up and they donated over £400 worth of fishing equipment to us wow. just because they wanted to help. And they're a small business in the middle of a pandemic, probably don't have a lot themselves, but out of the kindness at the heart, they, they did it, which is lovely. Um, we also have people running marathons, half marathons and things like that. So the donations really helped in the beginning for our startup costs. Um, there's an amazing guy called Connor who, so I get quite emotional when I meet Connor because he also has psychosis. He was in a mental health hospital, similar to my brother, um, but he had the right support and he's come out the other side and he ran his first ever half marathon a couple of weeks ago on his own. The half marathon was cancelled and he's like, I'm still going to do it. I'm doing it on my own. And he did it and he raised um, £2,000 for this off his own back. So only That's a young it. lad, just the most amazing kindest person. So donations so far have got us where we are now, really. Um, so I feel like we've accomplished quite a lot with nothing really, <laughs> which has been really helpful. Um, but to be sustainable, we know that, you know, we need, we need more really. So as I say, we've approached the council about potentially getting our own premises so we can open full time. We've, um, we're looking at developing a training program. Um, we, I've been on several training courses throughout this process. And for me, some of them are very black and white. Um, they're very Americanized in the materials that they use and it makes it seem very easy to save somebody's life and from personal experience I know it's not that easy you can try for years to find support or to ask the right questions and sometimes it takes more than that um, so there's another organization who provide um, drama therapy for people with mental illness but what they do is they use real people's experiences real people's voices and they put it into drama on the stage. And when you watch it, it's the most hard hitting, powerful piece of theatre you will ever see. So we're looking to team up with them and develop our own training programme to support people and families with mental illness using this. Um, Mallet in the community, the called. They're only and a new organisation. What are they called? Mallet in the community, like Mallet oh. like a hammer. <laughs> okay. Um, it's two young girls who run it. And the, the piece of theatre that they used, it's, oh God, what's it called? Um, I should have done my homework before I joined this, actually. I didn't realise I was going to mention them. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's, it's a type of theatre where on the stage the actors aren't using the voices. There's a voiceover of real men using their stories of how oh. they felt in that moment, what stopped them from doing it, what, how they feel now. Um, 
and it's the most powerful thing you'll ever say we're going to look to put that into a training program which we hope will have a really positive impact and by doing that um we hope that it'll also be a source of income and um, to support us through sean's place um yeah. because there's grants and there's funding out there we've not actually been in a position to apply for any because we've only just got our legal status um two weeks ago so now we're in the process of starting to apply for grants and funding but you know you, you'll know this and your listeners will know this grants and funding isn't always going to be there you'll get declined because you don't meet certain criteria the funding yeah. may dry up because there's been a national pandemic where everybody's needed the funding so i don't want sean's place to be closing in two years time because we can't get access to funding um so i'm going to be doing everything i can to make it as sustainable as possible and you know the grants will sort of prop us up so we can do more um but for our core services we want to be able to support ourselves as much as we can are there any kind of initiatives that you're going to be using in terms of like donation initiatives i know um on a slightly separate kind of level i know McMillan each year have like like a coffee morning initiative don't they where people raise money on it you know on that basis what are you guys yeah. going to do they're just absolutely amazing. Macmillan, that coffee morning, I've run a couple of Macmillan coffee mornings myself, so I appreciate how valuable they are. Um, we've we've looked at things like sponsorship programmes for organisations and for individuals. Um, there's a lot of big corporate organisations who want to complete the corporate social responsibility but don't necessarily have anywhere in mind that they would like to um, donate to. So we're hoping that we can build relationships with some of the major organisations in Liverpool, some smaller organisations like accountancy firms and solicitors and stuff, um, oh. where they can get a sponsorship package from us and in return we'll give them free tickets tickets to our annual fundraising events and um, they will be promoted on our website and on our social media pages um, and then we've also looked at um, doing fundraising events we were due to do a dog show in the um, the spring just gone I've got two dogs myself so I know how entertaining they can be um, and we want to get the community involved we, we're based in Bootle um, which you know they've just got a really good sense of community there's a lot of families with young children and things like that so we thought let's get the community involved and let's host a dog show it was my children's idea actually and we were hoping that would be like a big annual event for us but unfortunately it didn't go ahead with what happened so we've been limited to what we can do this year but we're hoping that we can definitely grow we've just started selling some merchandise on our website which you know we're not going to make mega bucks from it but it's more about um spreading the awareness for us so we've got car window stickers that people can place in the car window to as they're driving around liverpool someone might like be, be stood behind them in the queue and think oh what's that oh mayo mental health oh gosh i'll have to look them up you know my son or my brother is really struggling so that's more about raising awareness we're selling the cookbooks that i mentioned before as well now they're on public sale as well and um, we're encouraging people to take photographs of themselves doing some home cooking and tag us in social media so that we can obviously share that a little bit more as well um and we've got our band of hopes which are handmade bracelets um with a feather on which is um our logo and they're handmade by the volunteers of Sean's Place and some of the members as well. Um, so we have them for sale as well on our website. That's fantastic. How do you manage a team of volunteers then? What's been your biggest challenge in that respect? Honestly, the volunteers have not brought any challenges really. They've been absolutely incredible. Um, they all work full time. They've all got other jobs, but they give the time so massively. Um, 
one of the volunteers in particular, Mandy, I could not have done this without her. She sits at home coming up with ideas on, you know, challenges that we can give the guys during lockdown, whether it be like a 30 day art challenge or, you know, a photography challenge and things like this. She's so creative and she's so passionate about wanting to make this work that she's my little pot of gold, really. Um, as I say, like even with the training and stuff, they've just it's not even been a challenge to get them to attend training programs so that they can support the guys as best we can when we return. They just do it. Um, I, I just, I, I can't say enough. I'm just really, really grateful to them. Absolutely. Oh, that's fine. Obviously, Liverpool, you know, being the area that you're in, um, there's, a, there's a massive need elsewhere isn't, as well, isn't there? You know, I mean, you know Manchester, you know, I... I where, where do you stop and, and what plans have you got to kind of take this further if indeed there are any plans further? Yeah as I say on my initial meeting at the women's organisation one of the questions I said to the advisor Jacqueline was do you think I can do this because I didn't think I could I didn't think I had it in me I didn't think I had the skills I thought I'd be meeting with these big executives and they'd be laughing me out the room you know I get found out that little Debbie from Heighton is you know trying to take on this <laughs> massive project um, but now I'm actually doing it. I believe in it so much. I believe that it's working and the needs is there. That my hope is that what we've got now will become a model um, that we can take into other cities and we can take Sean's place into the likes of Manchester, into the likes of Leeds, and we can have little Sean's place hubs elsewhere as well. Um, it wasn't in the initial plan, but I know that it's so needed and it works, so why not? Yeah, absolutely. What would you say has been like? Because obviously you've done so much right. What would you say you, you know your biggest mistake has been? You know, when you look back. I don't want to come across really negative, <laughs> but I think my biggest my biggest mistake. Um, probably believe that everybody wants to help for the right reasons and um, a lot of people do but some people don't sadly and um, I found that some people wanted to help to benefit their own organizations but oh, yeah. weren't really in it to benefit Sean's place um, and that's when we were recruiting like board members and things like this um, so that was a bit challenging because then when uh, we made a decision to change the board for them reasons it also changed the direction that Sean's place went in we were going to go for a charity status but instead we ended up going for the CIC because we didn't have the board that we needed to be able to um to successfully become a charity at this stage but from that I've learned a valuable lesson um, and when we do recruit trustees so that we can get that charity status further down the line we'll know to do it right um, and to bring people on board who have got the same values um, as ourselves, who are willing to work hard as well. Um, I don't want people on the board of Sean's place who are just going to nod and turn up to a meeting every you know, for 20 minutes, once every six months, and that'll be it. I want people who are going to be involved, who are going to help Sean's place evolve, and are there because they want to be there for Sean's place, not for their own personal gain. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and... and... They say there's no no such thing as altruism, don't they? In the sense that you know, even if you, you do something good for someone else, the feel good factor is still a, a motivating factor sometimes, isn't it? But you know, I, I suppose when you are looking at 
individuals that are part of other organisations, particularly with CSR as well. Um, you know, it can sometimes be a, a bit of a, you, well, I suppose you have to be careful about which people you partner up with. You don't want to be part of any kind of, um, I, I don't know, almost like pseudo CSR. You know, you want yeah. people that are committed to the cause and committed to, to the objectives of your organisation that genuinely do want to help. And uh, it's amazing. Um, I'm just trying to think, have I, have I missed anything? I find it interesting, you know, of the people that I've interviewed so far um, on the podcast, imposter syndrome has crept up in every single one of them. And it has with you as well, you know, you know, little old Debbie you mentioned. And, and it's daft because what, what you've done is absolutely amazing. You know, and and if this goes into Manchester, if this goes into Leeds or, or wherever, what other city it goes into, if it does, you know, that will be, you know, I mean, at the moment, you, it's 35 guys that access the service here. Um, but that's 35 potential lives you've saved. You know, that's one way of looking at it, isn't it? Yeah, massively. And um, you'd have to kick myself moments sometimes. Don't get me wrong. I'm, my business is a bit dif different to some. Some people measure success of their business by how much money they've made or how many sales they've had. For us, as you say, it's, it's seeing the difference in people when they first walk into the building to when they walk back out of it. And if we can see that physical difference in, the, in them, we know that it's worked and sometimes you can't measure that in money um or in you know in costs or whatever so it's quite hard for me to talk about success and compare myself to somebody like Kath Jones for example who you had on last week who's absolutely you know killing it in in her line of work because as much as we're both doing things really well in our own services it's to measure it is very different so yeah. sometimes I do feel a little bit like kind of compare myself to someone like Kath Jones and say, you know, I'm, I'm really successful, you know, I'm running a successful business because actually it's completely different. You know, the way we measure things is completely different and some people may not see that as being um, compared to really. Well, at the end of the day, a social enterprise works with different metrics anyway. You, you need a surplus, of course you do. You know, and that is, you know, that is fact. But, you know, the metrics, you know, with your organisation, it is the social outcomes. Are you meeting those social outcomes? Hell yeah, of course you are. 35 mm -hmm. times. <laughs> Thank so. you. Yeah, it is crazy. I, th I find that the both one we talked about challenges before, <clears throat> I think one of the biggest challenges I've had to overcome is not being scared of people in really powerful positions. <laughs> um, I've sat in... Um, the CCG, which is the Clinical Commissioning Group in Sefton. Um, I went as, uh, <coughs> I'm so sorry, I got something stuck in my throat. Um, they had like an open forum. It was like their governance meeting where they invite members of the public in to ask questions and things like this. So I thought, why not? So I went in. I, I hadn't even opened Sean's place at that time. It was We'd done our pilot sessions and I sat in front of a room full of clinicians, directors, chief executives, and I was shaking like a leaf and I thought, oh, they're going to either laugh me out the room or they're going to want to help me. So I just told them about my idea, why I was doing it. I actually got quite emotional while I was in there because I was actually, I talked about Sean, it was only like eight weeks after the last time that I was in this meeting. 
and they were just the nicest bunch of people they were so understanding they actually did help they gave me some really good contacts they gave me some really good direction and from that i learned don't be scared of people with big titles because most of them are just the same as you they've got children at home they've got a husband who does the editing or they've got you know a dog that slobbers over people when they come to the house but all the same we've just got different paths in terms of um where we are now yeah absolutely i think that's a really really nice kind of conclusion really as well as the fact that you know people are people and it doesn't really matter what you do or where you come from you know, it's what you do in life, isn't it, that matters and, and, and who you are. And um, what would you say were the, say, the, the four biggest lessons you've learned then? Um, I think I've just told you one of them, actually. Um, I think my first one would be to follow your gut instinct. Um, if something's not right it's, or it doesn't feel right, it's probably because it's not. Um, yeah. I've used that a couple of times when I've gone with a feeling rather than um you know any text in front of me or anything and i think that's helped me a long way especially with like judging people and um you know putting things into action and um my thought process and my ideas i think your gut instinct does definitely get you a long way um so i'd always you know advise people to listen to that feeling really um surround yourself with positive people who have got a good heart i genuinely could not have done this without the amazing people who have stepped in to help me along the way um it, it, you just need that then people who you, you can go to it's so lonely being you know opening a business i feel so responsible for so many people i feel responsible for the volunteers i feel responsible for the guys who access the service for other organizations who might want to collaborate it's it's it can weigh heavy on your shoulders but if you've got good people that you can pick the phone up to and ask for advice or you know just tell them about your day it can take so much pressure off you um so i definitely advise people to get themselves a good network of people with a good heart who just want to look they don't want anything from you they just want to look after you absolutely um i'd say don't be scared um and believe in your own abilities as I said before, like I, I haven't come from a lot. I, I still don't have a lot now. You know, that's why I work as a school attendance officer. Um, I don't have a lot of money. My children are happy. You know, my husband's happy. We've got a lovely family life. And for me, that makes me rich. But in terms of coming up against people who were talking about millions of pounds of investments and everything else, and LinkedIn can be quite scary as well. Like if if you are somebody like me who hasn't come from a lot to see a lot of money being circulated on LinkedIn posts and stuff, it can be quite daunting. But I think you just got to believe in your own capabilities and abilities and know that you're just as good as any of them and you've got the ability to make as much as an impact in society as a lot of the other people do as well. It, do you know, it, funnily enough, just to kind of support that particular notion, really, I, I found that, I mean, obviously, I, I'm, not, I'm not a scouser. I'm not from Liverpool. I'm, I'm from the, the opposite end. And, and I know there's bands between our two respective cities, but, you know, what I've, also, what I've found with, with, with Liverpoolians and people in and around Liverpool is this innate belief in themselves and we get it in Manchester too, so it's not necessarily unique, but it, it is quite pronounced in Liverpool. It's, it's this, doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter where you've come from, it's what you do. And 
and and don't be don't be afraid and don't be scared and do you know that i think it runs through the vein of that of your city and i think it's amazing number four um i've had to really think about this one i i'm going to take my own i'm going to say it whether i do it or not is a different matter but i do intend to do it and it's about just taking some time out um i've got you know i work two jobs at the moment i've got three children um I've got a husband, I've got a dog who's about to have puppies next week, so potentially because I have eight dogs in my house, you know, <laughs> I'm on meetings, back-to-back meetings on my days off work, um, but also I've got three young children who need the mum to be the mum sometimes, um, and if you're constantly consumed by work, you know, if LinkedIn's constantly on, your WhatsApp chat are constantly on, you're not actually being Debbie, you're just being the children's place director or you being you know the, the primary school attendance officer um so for me I, I need to learn to do it better um but try and switch off and you'll be better for it yeah what what do you plan to do in terms of your own kind of like well-being then what kind of suggestions would you have oh in fact absolutely let me reframe that what would you know what things have helped you in terms of you know like well-being and um, going for long walks, I, I live quite close to Crosby Beach um, and when I lost my brother I was just consumed by grief and I didn't want the kids to see me crying, I didn't want my husband to see me crying so I used to get up really early in the morning and take my little dog for a walk down Crosby Beach about 8 o'clock just as the sun was rising and yeah. just to feel, see the water coming in and out, it was so calming to see the dog skipping like Lassie across the sand, it was the most calming thing that I could possibly have done at the time and I've carried that through to, to today To today. and if I'm feeling particularly stressed or I need some time out, I grab my dog and we go down the beach and we just walk for miles on our own. If I had more time, um, I used to be in a choir a couple of years ago and we sang with Russell Watson, like Chesney Hawks, we were proper famous. Um, Chesney but, Hawks, I'm good oh, on. <laughs> Chesney, Kiki T was another one. <laughs> but if I had more time at the moment and I do plan to make time in the future, I'd go back to choir because honestly, you do not need medication if you are in a choir. It's the most uplifting thing you can do for your soul. The friendships that are made there, the opportunities we had, you just forget about life for a couple of hours and it's the best 25 quid a month I've ever spent. <laughs> so Brilliant. if anybody is looking for a new hobby or, you know, a bit of downtime, join a choir, you won't regret it. Perfect. So <laughs> I, I always use, usually ask um, anyone that, that comes on onto the podcast really, uh, about a hypothetical tea party. So this is it. You, you, you're having a tea party at your place. Uh, you can invite who you want. Uh, there's four people. There's four seats. Obviously, I'm included. <laughs> and, um, and, and they can be there, you know, it can be anyone, you know, alive or dead. Somebody that you would want there that, that maybe has influenced your life as such or you would like to ask some questions. Who would it be? So you've got three. Oh, I thought there was one. I wrote one down, but I wasn't going to say in case I get all emotional. But the first one was obviously be my brother, Sean. Um, I'd have him there in a heartbeat. We'd have some cake and we'd have a little gab together and stuff. Um, the second one, I've got to say, would be my husband because we haven't had a date night for about 12 years. <laughs> we just don't get no time together. So if we had the chance to have a tea party with no kids there, he'd be the first one on my list, I think. Um, I'm sure he'd appreciate me saying that. Um, I've got to say Bruno Mars because he would just be able to sing for us and 
his voice and dance and perform and stuff and it saved me a fortune on a ticket to his next concert as well um i feel like i should say something really businessy like a really influential business person <laughs> you don't have to um <laughs> i'm really struggling to think of a fourth one I am struggling to think of a fourth one because there's so many amazing people who are sort of could, could influence you, you could ask questions to. Um, I'd probably say, you know, well, Mandy, the girl who was talking about earlier, my other volunteer, she's like my sidekick. She deserves to have a nice piece of cake and a cup of tea and a chill and everything she's done for me. Perfect. Thank you very much indeed for coming on to the show. Um, oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's. I, I, I always find it quite inspirational, really, when, when you, you hear somebody's story, you hear of the challenges and you hear them overcome them. And, uh, and I think, you know, your story is no different. And our listeners will certainly be very interested to hear kind of how you've done what you've done, despite everything. You know, I mean, one thing that, that does strike me is that, you know, it was only, you know, it was only a year or so ago, you know, since you lost Sean. And, and yeah. yeah yet you're here and you're doing so much you know a lot of people would have maybe waited a year you know but no you, you've picked up you picked up you know dusted yourself down you, you've got on and i think that's that's a credit to you if, if anything else it's, a um, year, it's, it's actually in, in the 20th of july which is in two weeks will be a year so it's not wow. even a year yes um yeah. and it was something that i had to fight with myself about and i've it, I suppose when we talk about challenges, that was one of the big challenges that I had people saying to me, it's too soon, you're grieving, you know, it's not the right time. And it may not have been the right time personally, and it might turn around and bite me on the bum in years to come. Um, but for me, it was absolutely the right time. I used every single bit of energy that I had and put it into this. And for me, it was the best way to deal with my grief because the other alternative was to be consumed in grief and not be productive for anybody. Um, and by, and I, th I feel like it's paid off. I feel like it was absolutely the right decision. And as much as it's hard when I've been to, you know, I might have a really difficult meeting with the coroner or my barrister about my brother's inquest, and 20 minutes later be sat on a Zoom call chatting to somebody like yourself, emotionally it it takes all your energy because I could be sat on the car crying my eyes out an hour ago, throw some makeup on and compose myself and speaking to you. And it's what I've done for the year, and. You know, I, I feel like I've I've got through it, and without this, I don't think I would have got through it. Well, Carrington, that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you again. Thank you. All right. Thank you. I don't know about you, but I always get a lot out of hearing experiences and stories of people who have triumphed over adversity and who have turned what is absolute tragedy into a silver lining in some way and have helped others. This story has been no different. And uh, again, thank you very much indeed uh, to Debbie for taking the time out to, to spend it with us on our podcast. So that's all we've got time for this week. Um, we have another podca podcast coming up next week as well. Um, more details will follow. And um, if you've got value out of this episode, all that we do ask is that you hit subscribe and that you leave us a five-star review that would really help us get the message out and build our following. So again, thank you very much indeed, and bye for now. Mm -hmm.